It's Primus Tracks with Josh, Frankie, and Sawyer. What a couple of dumb shits. Hello, primates! You found Primus Tracks. Congratulations! You can find us online at Primus Tracks on Instagram and Twitter. You can also email us at PrimusTracksPod at gmail.com. And there's already a couple there that I haven't read, so send us some more. I'm Josh. Right over there is Frankie. Hi, Josh. And the doorman at the Camelback Cinema, Tim Sawyer. What's up, guys? Man, you have 86 me from that place so many times. <laughs> well, you know, Frankie knows the secret code to the back entrance to the donkey oh, show that's, room. <laughs> I think. That's the key. Uh, Ta-da. <laughs> that's it. That's what it's got to be. I'll try that next time. In my Frankie voice, I'll see if it opens the lock. Well, <laughs> today we're talking about track six from the Brown album. It is named Camelback Cinema. We'll get there in a moment. But first, we have an inductee into the Punch Bowl today. You too can join the Punch Bowl by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. I suppose you could do it on Audible as well. If you're not using either of those services, you could also send a five-star review to our email address, primistrackspod at gmail.com. I'll count it. Today's five-star review is from Sideshow Jeremy on Apple Podcasts, who simply says, hats off, which I probably should have read this next week. Oops. Anyway, he says, love the podcast. Learning the stories behind the songs, albums, and artwork is fantastic. Primus has been my favorite band since the 90s, and I've seen them in less almost every time they come to New York. Since you're coming up to the Brown album, this is how long ago he left that, I thought I'd mention I was at the first show of the 3D tour in Poughkeepsie, New York. Before hats off, Les says it's the first time they ever played that tune live. Keep up the fine work gents frankie is that true that was the first hats off at poughkeepsie in the 3d tour yeah it it wasn't played until the 3d tour but we'll we'll get into that next week absolutely because today we have such a rich live history to mine for camelback cinema we don't want to go too crazy (laughs) yeah uh all right so i also want to thank sarah from florida sarah you have a lifetime pass to Captain Shiner's yacht. Sarah made a generous donation and received a big old stack of Primus Track stickers. You also can enjoy some Primus Track stickers by emailing us at PrimusTracksPod at gmail.com. That's also our new PayPal address. It's basically a buck a sticker. Get a hold of me and we'll work out the details. I was called out on Instagram for forgetting last week's cover version of Shake Hands with Beef. I'm going to rectify that in our miscellaneous debris section here. I actually had to go pretty far down looking for Shake Hands with Beef covers that were a whole band. A lot of bass covers, of course, but I found an actual band called Cycles, and uh, I will reserve my commentary until you guys hear a portion of this. There's a time for lies And a time for truth I hate this. Oh my god, that was that was like when Mark Wahlberg sang the theme song from uh, Octopussy in front of the live audience in the TED film. I have never seen that. You got to send me a link to that. That's oh not funny. Funnier than that song we just heard. Jesus. I, it, no, just for me, it just kills the tightness of the original tune. I'm not a big fan of Frankie. Please relieve us. Any other miscellaneous debris out there? Yeah, I just wanted to point out um, Primus Tracks has made it into the realms of the Steve Hoffman forums. I'll quote one of my friends who says that this place has a ton of yahoos, but it also has incredibly knowledgeable people. If you want to talk music, that's the place to be. Oh. So for me, at least, it's a, it's a personal milestone that Primus Tracks is now being discussed there, and all the feedback is quite positive. Can you hit me to who Steve Hoffman is? Because I'm, I'm a... Steve Hoffman is an audio engineer. The, the main point of these forums is to discuss audio equipment and sound quality, you know, like alternate takes of songs and which one has like the best audio quality and formats, packaging. It's, you know, it's really, really specialized stuff. Okay. You got to send them that Cycles cover of Shake Hands and Beef and see what Sure. <laughs> see what all I did some insight on why we don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Steve Hoffman Forums, whoever you are. Right Camelback Cinema. Uh, I don't even know where to start. I guess live history. Sure. Ricky, you have seven seconds. Go. 
It's complicated, Josh. Um, <laughs> there's a performance uh, on Valentine's Day, 1998, in, in Salt Lake City. Valentine's Day. <laughs> yeah, Valentine's Day, 1998. But wow, you know, if if you check Toaster, that's the only annotated performance of the song. But okay. that's wrong because I found a review of Primus and Beanpole at the bottom of the hill in San Francisco. And I'm going to address those reviews later on in this episode. But Camelback Cinema was definitely performed that night, um, as you can see by the set list that I sent you, Josh. So the yeah. strange thing is that bottom of the hill was September 22nd, 1997. And then we have another performance of the track on Valentine's Day, 1998. I find it hard to believe that there would be such a considerable gap uh, between the two performances of the song. So I'm inclined to believe we are missing several set lists from the Brown album tour, and perhaps it was played a few more times. I mean, not a lot, because it's a really rare track, but mm -hmm. I'm sure there's got to be more than two performances in the entire Primus history. I, I, I can't remember them playing this song, to tell you the truth. They played it at that bottom of the hill gig. Wow, that's funny. <clears throat> you have the set list from that one? Yeah, I got it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna run down the, the set list for you guys when we get to the review part. Okay, okay. That it's such a rarity is probably why I have no recollection of a couple times they might have played it. You know, I mean, there's a lot of songs on the Brown album that might have made a couple appearances and they tried it again. Yeah. And just said, yeah, there's definitely a large gap, like you said, Frankie. So I wonder if they, you know, tried it once. If if those are the only two, they tried it once and then. Brought it up for Valentine's Day because but, it is a love song. And then, but that is, a, but I mean that's so strange, right? Because usually when they play a song once, maybe they test it again the following night or a few nights after, and if it doesn't work, they drop it. But for a for such a rare song to come back several months later, that's really strange. It's not that strange. Just didn't work. Didn't like it. I remember we were on the Holy Mackerel tour, and Les decided he wanted to do "Great White Buffalo" by Ted Nugent. <laughs> right. Of course, Merv knew it because, you know, he learned all that stuff when he was a kid. And so they played a sound check. They're like, all right, yeah, this sounds hilarious, dude. We're going we're gonna to make the crowd laugh at this one. It's the only time I've ever seen this happen with Les. They start the song, they get going on it. You know, it's a pretty rock and Ted Nugent song from the 70s. They didn't even get through the first verse unless she goes, the band goes, and they ended the song because the crowd just went, they didn't know what to make of it. <laughs> they were like, you're playing Ted fucking Nugent? Jesus Christ. <laughs> I don't know what they were thinking, but he, he was vibing or feeling the vibe of the crowd vibing him like, no, dude, stop. And so he did. <laughs> wow. So, uh, you know, it can happen, you know, songs just don't work. You know, you don't feel it. You don't get a vibe or you see the crowd just gear in the headlights and you just don't go back to it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I do wonder if this one maybe had that effect on the crowd because I, you know, in my notes, it is one of these tunes where uh, after a while, I just feel numb. Uh, we're getting that, we're getting that drum beat, you know, brain's just pounding. And after a while, like, been on that wow. one, dude. you know, it's not a metal song or anything, but I just feel numb after all that pounding brains doing. I feel bad for him. He's just working his ass off that whole time. He is making some noise, man. I actually kind of want to start there because, Soy, I want to hear what you have to say about about this drum intro, given what we know about that drum kit, the 26-inch kick drum with no hole no in hole. it. And, yeah. and I love the the kind of messy drum roll that Brains starts us with, too. So I just want to play that first part. And yeah, please. Hear your ideas about it. Go. That's so cool, man. I, I I'll tell you, man. We all knew that was a ripper. I mean, obviously the song didn't really amount to much other than the couple things it does. But I texted Brain when I was listening to the Brown album. Uh, when I heard that, immediately text, texted him and said, "Jesus Christ, dude! I forgot how ripping that beginning of that Camelback Cinema song was." And he was like, "Hey, jeez, how does it go? I forget." <laughs> I was like, man, he's like, I don't know, man. I don't know how I got through that one. That, maybe that's why they didn't play it live that much. It was too hard on that drum kit for brain to play, you know? Yeah. I mean, that, that is perfect in the beginning. And if you guys have ever hit a kick drum with no hole in the front head, it, it's like, it's like hitting a countertop, you know, trying to get some bounce off of it. And it just goes, Kah! 
And then the drum is 26 inches, which is like huge. So right. I don't know how he played that, that kick drum so well. Right. You the know that, amount of time that he did, you know? Yeah. And I, I love in that intro, the That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, that to me, that's like a bucking stallion. You know, that's what I envision when I see that or hear that part. It's wild, man. Brian really yeah, is. It, it's it's the driving force. It, it's kind of yeah. odd that that song really didn't amount to much, you know, because of that killer beat. Sam, you know how Lur, how Herf complains about the intro of South Unpacker? Yeah. I mean, he's lucky he never had to play this song live. Well, you know, Herb doesn't have a setup like that, you know? I mean, it's easier to play on a regular drum set with a hole in the head and a regular size kick drum. You know, Brain just wanted to take things to the the crazy stratosphere and just try to melt faces out of the gate on his first Primus recording, you know? Yeah, so that's just what gets me, and I don't think that people casually listening uh, to the album understand that he's making things more difficult for himself Kind of on purpose, I suppose, but he's doing things that are way more difficult than they sound. And and this one sounds difficult to boot. So he's he's really pulling some superhuman stuff there, it seems. Right. I mean, the cool thing about Brain is he always liked to challenge himself, you know, yeah. like push his parameters. I mean, obviously, it's not that difficult of a part, but on the drum kit that he had, he knew that was going to be some crazy shit to pull off, you know, and he did it. And I, I can remember us sitting there listening to the playback and him going, fuck, shit, I got to play this now if we ever play the song live again. again. <laughs> and it just never came up, I guess. You know, that's that's bizarre. I didn't know that. You raised a good point because I used the term numbing before and you said it's it's interesting what the track amounts to on the record because it doesn't have that dynamic shift into another gear or, right. you know, even brain goes halftime or just uh, does something else to give it that that very dynamic uh b part that then you can come back to that gok 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 that double time thing he's doing or just hitting that you know just hitting that snare really hard and pounding on that that kick drum so um frankie i know you love this track but i do every once in a while i like it though i love how obnoxious it is that's the I, thing like, I like this track a lot too and yeah. i remember liking it when it when it came about you know especially the day we showed up unless i'd done the vocals and we heard what he was singing you know it was like whoa that's something cool and new and different. But then, you know, by yeah. the end of the recording session and it comes out and you're like, that's all it does. Just brain driving a train through the whole song and less just thumping along with him, you know? Right. Yeah. So we get this, uh, we get this thing that can just wear you down after a while. I was surprised it was only four <laughs> minutes. Cause for some reason in my head after a while, I thought it was six. Cause it just goes, <laughs> you know, you, you said brain driving a train through it. That's exactly what it's like. So, yeah. I mean, lure, lure is it, and the vocals are what really, give it any kind of color, you know? Yeah, it is a, it is a straight ahead groove. And like, much like beef last week, where it's this monolithic thing, this time we get these guys interlocking in, in a different way. So yeah, for the bass, we're on the fretted six again, correct? Cause we're getting low. Uh, yeah. Anytime you hear that sub, let's never detuned. If anything is really low like that, if he's got a six in his hand. Yeah. So he's he always that. played straight tuning. He never detuned or, or played odd tunings ever, ever, never. Yeah. Yeah. So we're getting that really low uh, slide going on. And then, but he's also tapping in a pretty high register as well. Yeah. I believe he's yeah. tapping with his right hand there. And so, he loves to tap on the six string up high on the B yeah. and the E. That's like one of his fun things to do on that bass. Yeah. <laughs> he brings it out this one uh, in yeah. that regard. Uh, Frankie, you have something to disturb us with, I believe, when it comes to the bass line. Oh, yes. Um, it's not my discovery, but <laughs> it is well worth pointing out. Uh, somebody mentioned at the Boulevard that apparently the bass riff echoes the noise of a camel in heat. Well, where is this young man from? Egypt or Mexico? Yeah. The sound of a camel in heat, not something I want in my browser history. So I'm going to leave that to the experts. And if is it the low part he's talking about? The that really yeah, really the low part? part. I mean, I just I just sampled the noise right now on 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 a, on a video, and it does sound pretty similar. <laughs> you found a sample of a camel. Frankie's Frank is dialing up the Nat Geo for us. Do you guys Do you guys want to hear the camel in heat? Of course we do. Sort of the fans, but they're like bated breath, dude. Let's do this. This, this. is a moment. <laughs> Yeah, 
that sounds like the best li- like the baseline. Wow. <laughs> Thank you. Are you okay? <laughs> you not get your El Pastor tacos this afternoon. Yeah, alive. Well, you, I, the register's just about right. He's that camel's yeah. getting down there, dude. He's down on that B string. That's pretty incredible. That might be the next string down from the low B, dude. I don't know, man. That was some low stuff. He doesn't have that string. That camel's reaching back. Wow. Uh, I had never heard that before, so I guess it stands to reason. Uh, I now I wonder if Les knew that if he was watching nature films and went, "Yes, I'm gonna yeah, guess." You know, you know that he does his research. That's right. Yeah, especially <laughs> from right. the, from what we found so far with the Brown album, he's really, uh, you know, digging deep into the boxing library. matches and yeah, you know, yeah, barrels going over the falls and you know, camels and heat. It's all kind yeah. of <laughs> the same theme going on out there, you know. Boy, the the person at the info desk when he showed up just must have cringed. What does he want to know now? So yeah, so we have camels and heat. Of course. Oh, oh god, it's Frankie again. What's he gonna look for? <laughs> What's he gonna look for? <laughs> well, we have uh, of course the title Camelback Cinema. You might as well just call it Hump Theater, right? Because that's basically what we're talking about. No real camels involved. But, uh, you know, any teenager can go, hey, that's the sexual reference. We finally got there on the record. Okay. You know. I think it might be safe to say that that's a made up title of a theater or a cinema. But oh, yes. We all know what it's about, you know. You bet. Depend. Yes, of course. <laughs> well, so that bass is really hitting those low notes and then we get that high tapping. But I believe what happens uh, throughout the tune is that Les and Larry switch uh, switch roles because when we we get the high tapping from Les and and the uh, the slide the boom and and Larry's doing this he's playing this three note loop dun, 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 mm-hmm. and it's great because Brain's playing essentially in four you can just count the fours if you want and Larry's playing this three note loop on top of that four so they're meeting you know on the twelve so they're meeting every um every three uh sorry they're meeting every three bars. After the verses, Larry starts the slide part, and it sounds like at that really low register, Les is playing that three-note loop, from what I can tell, because once again, the production makes it a little difficult to suss it out, but if I'm wrong, somebody tell me. Johnny, help me out. It's pretty simplistic, the way it's laid out. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, Larry's playing that that three-note loop, and then he gives us the slide part, and then the he goes up an octave at the end, and that's kind of about it, because we have... You know, brain's driving it, so there's not too much of a dynamic shift at all, which is fine. You know, it's a like I said, it's kind of numbing, but in a good way because I do appreciate just how it pounds. You know, and it is definitely different for Primus with with that kind of pound and drum beat, as well as the vocals, like you pointed out. So it's a little bit different in that regard too. Yeah, I kind of liked it at first, you know, and I, I do like it because it's so unique to what Les is normally doing. You know. But the best part of the whole song is the go, go, go part, because, you know, I say oh, yeah. that as well. So oh, I was going to ask. So you doing the go part as well? <laughs> yeah, I can't remember who all did it. It might have been me and Lur. Really? That. I think so. I can't remember. Wow, that's amazing. I, I remember doing that, sitting there going, go, go, go. That's go. so cool. <laughs> but I don't think it, we might have already had that done by the time Turk Black came up with Adam that night. And we did yeah. the shake hands of beef one. I, I don't think it was that same night we did the go parts. Or it could have been. I can't remember. dude. I don't, I don't know. At least you and Larry. Check me if I'm wrong, Sandy, but I I cannot remember the go. I just remember doing it. I don't remember who all was standing there. It was one of those, Les had the idea, and we just threw a mic up and just did it, and that was it. You know, It wasn't some shake hands with beef where we did, they knew that it was going to be the single kind of thing, or, or it was right. potential to be a single. So really, he put more time and effort into that one. You know, This might have been an on-the-fly thing he came up with while we were mixing it. Hey, oh, I hear yeah, it. Go, 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 go. Just kind of up the stakes for the ending. Hey, you alert. Get a deep voice and go, 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 go. Okay, cool. I'll do that. All right. Who cares? Whatever. Okay, go, go, go. Okay, we got it. Moving on. It's like, all right. Yeah, yeah. Give Sometimes that happens like that in the studio. You know, things are spontaneous a lot of times, you know, like that. So, given what we know about how Primus records are made, totally stands to reason. Let's add pretty this. Spontane- pretty spontaneously. Yeah. Possible. <laughs> it really does up the ante there at the end with with that because it just adds another layer of intensity uh, for the last however many bars, and it does end right. with a pretty. It's pretty great. Yep. I do like the ending as well. It just brings one more thing and with that wailing guitar, you know, in there too. There's just so much going on seemingly at the end. It kind of does. It doesn't really build up to that because you start at 100 miles an hour, but at least it ends at 100 miles an hour as well. Right. Lur's part sounds like a cat in heat. So we have a camel in heat and a cat in heat. <laughs> and brain sounds like a choo-choo train in heat. Yeah. <laughs> Stay away from the plane, 
Man, alive. Other thoughts on the music, guys? Because there's a lot of, uh, like we said, it's pretty obnoxious, and I like obnoxious, uh, but it just doesn't necessarily take a left turn anywhere. Well, I'll point out one thing, not yeah. so much about the music, but when you hear a brain in the beginning, like as I listened to it today and, and just now with you playing that, uh, <clears throat> you can hear how there's not that many microphones on the drum set. Like it really stands out because I, like I say, we only in the, that's in the main room where the board was one, two, three. I think we only had five microphones on the whole drum set and Oh, you got five in the main room. Okay. I thought you only had like two. I know you got we one did, in the We did room. one microphone when we had it out in the pool table right. room, and we might have went to two because the kick drum wasn't coming through good enough on those. We had to get some definition on the kick. I can't I can't be positive, but I'm pretty sure we did takes with one mic in the pool table room. But in the main room, that less wanted to do one mic or you know, two mics. But you know, you just we had to get one close to the snare to get the hi-hat definition. And we had to have one on the kick. And then there was a couple other ones just kind of around the room. And that was it. You know, there was no mics on the toms and there was no overheads. And there was just kind of like some random mic placing that Les didn't like it. And that's kind of why it sounds like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, really, it definitely sounds primacy in that regard. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But I'm just saying you can hear in that jam when he kicks in, if you if you think in your head, oh, there's only like four or five mics on the drum kit, you can tell that when you know that fact, you know? Yeah, it does seem like when he goes away from the the snare, the hi-hat, and the kick, which, of course, are your basic parts of your kit, when he goes away from those, it does seem like you're getting further away from the microphone in, in some regard. Yeah. So, yeah. I, can, and I mean, it's yeah. cool. I, I do dig it. You know, it's a cool effect. Let's have that idea, and we just went with it. And I think the result is cool, you know? Yeah. I can't tell you guys what microphones we use, but I can tell you that there was only a few. <laughs> <laughs> SM57s and 58s? That's the only one I can ever think of. What are those? I don't know what those are. Those are the ones they recorded the sausage demo with. I know what those are, dude. Come on now. Come, no, I'm helping you because you forgot. Oh, right. <laughs> nice uh, rush no, shirt. Nerd. Karaoke machine with some microphones with switches on them and cords coming out the butt of them. You just plug those in and that's what we used. <laughs> that's how I recorded when I first started recording music, that kind of stuff. I don't know if you recall uh, during the old days of the bullboard that this song got a lot of hate. I think it was voted worst Primus track at some point when they were doing the rundown of worst to best. Oh, that wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. I think yeah. A lot of people I mean, I, like I, I always felt that it was quite unfair. I don't think it's it's a bad track at all. I think yeah. it's pretty unique. It, for, for me, at least, it's one of the most interesting songs on the album. It really is because it is such a departure, but I think it threw people uh, upon release, because, you know, we're talking about hardcore Primus fans in 1997, and they are looking for a Tales from the Punchbowl follow-up, just like anybody else, and mm -hmm. this is completely different. Uh, I think a lot of tracks got a lot of hate, but at the same time, even at that point, people loved it and were defending it, and they still do to this day, as we've marveled about, you know. You go, yeah, 23 years ahead of that thing, and you got yeah. people commenting every day or every week that we do this saying that the Brown album is their absolute favorite Primus record. Yeah. It's, it's it baffled me, but it's like, okay, that's cool. Yeah. No. And someday people will say the same about Antipop and then they, they will say the same about uh green Naga <laughs> I mean, right. Everything is possible. Yes. And you got it. Yeah. Yeah. This one definitely was much maligned in its day, but I think with a lot of things, the view softens and appreciation can set in because you're not reacting emotionally as far as right. Uh, right. with the emotion of this is not what I wanted it to be because it doesn't meet my expectation. Now right. you can listen to it with the emotion of I really like this band and I'm open to hearing what they have to it say. It takes a decade to get over the letdown. <laughs> no, it really it really can. I mean, there it's so strange how we emotionally invest ourselves in certain musical acts. And I'm, I'm sure for the artists that can be, of course, very strange. But even for the fans, you, and I found myself being disappointed by different recordings by different bands, and then I, I have to take a step back and realize they didn't make this specifically for me and what I want. I have right, to right. open up, and if I appreciate it, great. And if I still don't get it, then I'm just going to move on. I'm not going to go slag them on their own bulletin board, you know? Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm always standing up for Bowie's 80s albums in the Steve Hoffman forum. It's a daily thing for me. Wow, how have they not run you out yet? <laughs> I can name a bunch of bands that got an album out, like the Brown album, and I just, that's it. I moved on and never never followed any of the other albums that came out. I have a question about the guitar part. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but at least for me, some of the things that Blur is doing on Camelback Cinema remind me a little bit of the noise that he makes on the return of Sathkin to Don Willoughby. Is it just me? 
or it sounds similar. It's it's pretty close, but it's not exactly the same. But uh, yeah, it's just an ascending note um, on a slide. So it is. It's, I can't comment on that because I've only heard the return of Sathington one time in the last twenty years, and that was a couple <laughs> that weeks. Was five ago. weeks ago, and we used to do for us. I can't. I have no comment on that. Frankly, right. Sorry. Yeah. It's close. Yeah, I wonder if he was uh, just going, I think this will work, you know, and sometimes similar ideas work in different uh, circumstances. So you can you can get away with that. I think I think it is close, though. Laura has a couple tricks that he pulls out for a lot of songs across the board. You know, his like upstroke chink, 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 chink that he does is like quite often and it fit the mold of what was going on and Les liked it. So we he just probably just stuck with it, you know. It works in this track for sure. So, and it works in Willie yeah. also. It's kind of cool how it works in different situations. I like the guitar in this song. I like the chunky and I like that cool high stuff he does. Yeah. It's cool. The I do like, and I don't think I gave enough praise to that, that three note loop that Larry's doing because it is chunky, but it also is kind of hypnotic because it isn't right on the four. So you have to wait for them to meet up, as I said earlier. So it's kind of cool that way that it does throw you a little bit off kilter at any rate, but you're listening to it for four minutes. So you'll, you'll pick up on yeah. it um, if you have any semblance of rhythm. Let's talk about those vocals, those unique vocals. He's going, uh, Les is going with a pretty high register there, um, especially in the his uh, Camelback Cinema chorus. And I think he doubles his vocals for the Burton White Lightning and does a bit of a falsetto there. He does. He does. Yeah, that's fun. You know, you don't get that a lot up to this point. Yeah, he's, he's much more of a singer on this track than a narrator, as he calls himself. Yeah, especially with that, uh, with the e i e i e i e i that part. You're like, he's messing with the note. He's just messing with the note. Can you can you do that again, please? Uh, sure. E i e i e i e i. I'm gonna clip that and put it on all our uh, yes, please socials. Please do. <laughs> I mean, because he's up there doing that. Camelback. I don't know what he's saying, but he's up there doing that. Camelback cinema. E i e i. There it is, right there. Yeah. So I really have to close my throat to do that. It's tough. I wish I was able to be there when he was singing that to watch him do it. Yeah, I have to imagine those falsetto ones had to be the latest at night, and he was doing them as quietly as he could, you know? She likes dirt yeah. and white lightning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not going to do that in front of anybody. <laughs> especially, a, especially a crowd, right, Frankie? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely not. Well, those are my two favorite parts because they're so different, and you don't really hear him do that kind of thing. But the the vocals, even the the verses, he's still kind of up there, you know? He's down in dollar five. He's up there. He's up there in his register. He's yeah. not just going, you know, go to Big Brown Beaver, blah, blah, blah. He's going, na, 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 na. So it's very different in that regard, too. They're throwing a lot of different things out there for this track. <laughs> Maybe they felt like, okay, we did it for that one. Let it be, because you don't get it too too often going forward. Well, I like it. I think it's cool. Yeah, yeah. What does he say to Brain at the start? Does he just say go? I don't know what he's go. saying. Just it's yeah. go. That's it. Is it just he, go? He, hit, he hit record, go. Okay, it's it was a go. To start playing. Because for years and years and years, I thought he was saying, cool. I don't know. I've my dumb teenage <laughs> no. ears hearing what they wanted to hear. I remember that. <laughs> it's just a go. That's great. Well, the, yeah. It's one of those random, weird, normally less than leave in stuff like that. But that one he did because the part just comes out of the, the horse race gate, you know, boom. So I think he wanted to go. And then boom, here, here you go. Yeah, it is like calling that. Uh, it is like firing the starter pistol, isn't it? Just yeah. Bam, yeah. And off you go. You're absolutely right. I think that's. Uh, yeah. totally appropriate that's, why, that's why he left it in there I'm sure yeah if you're a Primus fan chances are the band Ween is on your radar available now the world's only zine about Ween don't get too close to my fanzine is the brownest zine ever produced and issue 6 is scorching hot off the presses go to theweenzine.com to order issue 6 now for only $10 and all previous issues are available as a free download including issue 5 which features a piece by our pal Frankie which may contain Bowie references prepare them out boys find the cheese because the mollusk it lingers at theweenzine.com and on Instagram at ween before we dive into the lyrics okay i did some digging you know because i wanted to find as much as possible about this song and the mystery of the live performances and i found a review which i'm just going you know i'm just going to paraphrase a little what it said because uh, i don't really like the review but it mentions that the band was on fine form as they were performing their classics and they also went through a lot of songs from the Brown album, and out of all those songs, Camelback Cinema should have been dropped from the set list. So this that's the, the comment on the review. <laughs> so he doesn't go into any further detail about why. So it's not really 
a great review. So I'm going to share with you a much better one that I found courtesy of uh, Bootleg Confessions. And, you know, this guy wrote a really, really excellent piece about it. So this is Primus and Beanpole at Bottom of the Hill in San Francisco, September 22nd, 1997. I'm going to share with you guys the set lists because, you know, it's always amazing when you finally stumble upon the full set list of such rare performances. So the, the Beanpole set list was, his name is Beanpole, Chicken Boy, Judge Wapner, Baby Einstein, Dinner Time, Where is Fred, Grandma, Embryo, and Sponge Boy. Several of those songs were not performed in the New Year's Eve with Clay Plain on Delirium, by the way. So this is, you know, this is legendary stuff. Yeah. And the Primus set list, all right, you're, you're not going to believe this. Opening song, Tommy the Cat. Already awesome. Yeah, right off the gate, Tommy the Cat with DJ Disc. And then they went into Duchess and the Proverbial Mindspread, Putting Tain, My Name is Mutt, Camelback Cinema, Those Damn Blue Color Tweakers, Frizzle Fry, The Chastising of Renegade, Ooh. Jesus Christ, <laughs> Golden Boy, Jerry Was a Race Car Driver, Fisticuffs, Bob's Party Time Lounge, Dude. Kalamazoo, Harold of the Rocks, and for the encore, they came back with Pudding Time, The Thing That Should Not Be, Holy Smokes, and The Heckler to close the show. Now that's a set list. What a set list, right? You didn't note it, but when they did The Thing That Should Not Be was with Mark Osagueda, the singer from Death Angel. Wow, oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I would he was the singer on that song that night. That makes sense because he he did it on the webcast too in '98. He he showed up and did yeah yeah that, that was the first time they did it and then that webcast funny thing we did at Ultrasound yeah he yeah. came down and did it then wow. too and that I mean was, this is cr- was, this is crazy opening with Tommy the Cat closing with Heckler playing hits it. and playing rarities like Camelback Fisticuffs I mean uh, Renegade this very well might be one of the best shows of the Brown album wow yeah oh they were trying to showcase it that was the first show wasn't it. No, it wasn't. I mean, they wasn't. were already already, already in full motion tour, at this maybe? point. Yeah, maybe the, the venue lent itself to this performance. So I'm gonna I'm gonna share with you guys some information about the show. Tiny. Yeah, the the, re, the reviewer mentions that it was a special show on many levels. First of all, because it was taking place at the bottom of the hill, which is one of the smallest venues he had ever seen Primus perform at. The capacity of this venue is 350 people. Mm-hmm. Imagine that. Soya, didn't you say that Primus barely sold any tickets as well for that? No, it wasn't that. It was like everybody knows the bottom of the hill in the Bay Area, in San Fran, the Bay Area. And everybody that saw Primus was playing knew, I'm not going to go down there and A, not get in. B, there'll be a big crowd of people that can't get in. I'm not even going to deal with it. So I think they sold like 340 tickets. It was like whatever they, you know, they were like just like five or 10 tickets off of calling it a sellout, you know? But it was kind of funny. It was packed to the bejesus belt. You know? Yeah, the, the reviewer was quite nervous about getting into the show because he didn't actually have a ticket. He was an usher and he was uh, oh, wow. expecting to be able to watch the show after letting the people inside. So he mentions in the review that he's never calm until he's actually watching the performance. So he, got, he managed to get into the show. And here's something really amazing. You know how in the Silver Anniversary Extravaganza less performed with three different bands. Right. Well, at this show, something similar happened because he was actually on stage with Beanpole during their set, as well as Larry. And nice. Larry was playing banjo. And the reviewer says that it was really amazing to have the opportunity to, to see, you know, Larry shredding on the banjo. Um, so he mentions that they they performed Double Duty by joining Beanpole on stage, as well as Derek Greenberg and Adam Gates from the Spend Poets. Oh, yeah. Um, he notes that it was a very rare occasion because, to his knowledge, they had never performed live before, which is completely true. There are only two live performances from Beanpole ever. Hmm. After that, you know, it was Primus time. So... He mentions that right off the gate, they go into Tommy the Cat with DJ Disc and people go crazy. I mean, <laughs> imagine the, the energy level of a show that starts with Tommy the Cat. Yeah. That is absolutely incredible. He also notes that he was fortunate about witnessing the thing that should not be for the first time. So there's the webcast and there's also this performance and there's another one 
a few days later on September 25, 1997 in Sacramento. So that's three lone performances. Oh, what was the venue on the Sacramento show? Mm-hmm. The venue was uh, the Memorial Auditorium. Okay, so then that was like what happened was we started the tour, I think, right? If you look at your dates. Yeah. Was that the first, the Sacto was the first show of like a run of shows or something? Yeah, I think it was. That sounds right. That sounds about right. And we did that gig at the bottom of the hill and then went to Sacramento and the buses showed up and we did the first show and took off. And I think it was, God, I was just trying to think of the name of the band that opened up. It was with that Lonnie Smith dude on bass. Uh, Weapon, Weapon of Choice, choice. might have been that one. Uh, there are no there are no annotations about the opening band. Uh, you don't have any other notes about that show? On no. Spreadsheet? Yeah. <laughs> As I remember after the, I'd have to have someone would have to show me some little more info that I could rack my brain around it. But I think right. I think Osagueda came to that Sacto show too, and he came out and did that as well. I'm pretty okay. sure if he if we did if Primus did it, Osagueda sang it. Les didn't sing it. It was sense. super funny that we've got Death Angel singer to do it. He's the pal of all of ours, you know. So, so the it. the reviewer elaborates that they were still you know getting accustomed to the songs from the Brown album, which had just been released in July. Additionally, they were also getting accustomed to Brain being the new drummer. You know, being that occasion, they played quite a few songs from the album. Nine out of 17, to be precise. I want to back that up. Is because the first tour we did was the Horde tour. And Promise only had a 45-minute set on the Horde tour. Yes, it was all hits. It was hits and a couple... They might have had an hour, but I mean, it wasn't enough to play that many Brown album songs. So this yeah. was like the all right, let's get all these songs aired out here, and we're going on the Brown tour for real with us headlining. You know, yeah, and they were they were saving you know these rarities for for these kind yeah, of occasions. I mean, you play on the Horde tour, opening for Neil Young, you're not going to play Renegade. You know, <laughs> they should have. I'm just saying, you know, you, <laughs> you play the ones that were the single, and may, and they I think they did over the falls. Maybe in a, you'd have to look at your set list, but. That this was the start of the them headlining, so that's why there's so many down yeah. songs going on, you know. There's, there's there's an interesting thing here. The reviewer notes that Les was kind of annoyed by a recent uh, review on Bass Player Magazine that accused him of being a sloppy player. So both Brain and Larry teased him on stage about it throughout the night, and Les, you know, pointed that out after his solo on those damn blue color tweakers, you know, he said that it was a sloppy. Um, the last interesting detail about the show is that they did, you know, kind of an interpolation of another one bites the dust in the middle of uh, those damn blue color tweakers. You know, the reviewer mentions that he kind of morphed the two baselines. So that's Primus and Beanpole at bottom of the hill in 1997. Lots of, Amazing things happened that night for sure. All right, lyrics. Wow. Well, it's, there's an easy rhyme scheme going on in these, and actually, there aren't as many lyrics as I thought I remembered. Uh, going back to, this <laughs> I, track. I pulled up the lyrics too, and I was like, "That's it." Oh, yeah, he just yeah. beats a lot of stuff. Okay, <laughs> there really isn't a lot going on, but we definitely have a couple of broken down or faded people. Uh, we have our smelly guy who shows up every week. Uh, he he gets a, some description, and our older escort who's thinking about her. Better days, I suppose, when eager boys would stand in line. Uh, but they both like Burt and White Lightning, and I had to look that up because I haven't seen that movie. But uh, I never have either. Okay, yeah, it's a, it's an old. I was set. actually going to ask you guys if you had seen the movie. Yeah, yeah, I haven't seen that one. It's Burt Reynolds, of course, uh, without a mustache, but with pretty sweet sideburns. Because I was looking at some stills. Mm-hmm. He's a prisoner, federal prisoner, and he goes undercover to inform on some moonshiners and uh, to avenge his brother's murder by the corrupt sheriff. So I mm-hmm. guess it's a, one of those southern fried action films. Well, Les was a big fan of all that that Burt Reynolds era. He loves all those movies. He yeah. get all. He had T-shirts of a couple of those movie posters he'd wear now and again. Gator <laughs> is one of them. <laughs> a couple of them. So this this definitely sounds like a Les Claypool type film. Like he'd love that. Um, love that. I mean, dude, seventies stuff looks cool. The posters look cool, and the movies are so cheesy. And the cameras they were using and the cinematography is so cheesy. When you go back and watch that stuff, it definitely had its own. Uh, time frame. That's for sure. It's it's a, it's of its era, which is pretty great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's phenomenal. But uh, yeah, I just looked at a few stills and read a synopsis. I don't know much else about the film. Um, yeah, 
And and you know that's about it. I mean that's what I have for the lyrics. You just have these busted up people uh, looking for some kind of comfort, I suppose. Going to a strip club. What, yeah. what else are you going to do if you got no money? Yeah, this guy's going to buy his weekly <laughs> or enough money to give to some girl behind the glass. Yeah. Right? Yeah, he's know. got he's got a routine, right? He's got to buy his weekly uh, satisfaction, and uh, then this lady, you know, she doesn't have as many customers as she used to. I never I never think about the song in those terms. I know that's what the song what the lyrics are about, but in my mind, it's this song about people riding camels in the desert to watch movies being projected on a blanket. Huh. Literally literally a camelback cinema. I, I prefer to think about that and the music matches quite well. More than, you know, the, the real angle of the song, which is kind of depressing. Yes. So a caravan of camels crossing the desert sounds like this song? Yeah, for me, in my mind, the song sounds exactly like that. You know, wow. it's like a march. Wow. The, the oasis is in the horizon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they see it, the camels. <laughs> and they take off, because that's what they do when they see the oasis. They bolt for it. Oh, man. Maybe that's why they're. Maybe that's why the song is so fast-paced, because, yes, this is where the camels are making their run for it so they can get a drink. Fill their humps. <laughs> and then the men riding the camels get to go into the big tent with the harem of women or something. I don't oh, know. Oh, yeah. Now we're talking. I'm yeah, just that, sounds, that sounds great. <laughs> I don't have much else to say about the lyrics, except we have these two, you know, obviously desperate people <laughs> to a degree. And uh, it, I guess they're not people you want to be around from what I from what I gather. I, I did like the sharpness of a troubadour. I like that part. That one confused me. What does that mean? A troubadour, it comes from Italy, I think. And it was these it was this class of knights and they were probably landed nobility. But they also uh, had a roots or a base in poetry. So there were these knights that would go around writing love poems. And that's what a troubadour was. Hmm. Yeah, they had quite a social status. That's right. Yeah. So he must have been looking good there. And even though he smelled like death. <laughs> <laughs> right. Nice right. suit. Wash it every once in a while, man. There's that. I do have a nice 1897 connection, though. This one actually tracks Soya as opposed to Cannons last week. So this one, okay. <laughs> this 1897 connection is about Storyville in New Orleans. Either of you ever heard of Storyville? Uh, I've heard of it. I don't know. I couldn't tell you what that means. But Well, it's it's actually it's an old district and it's right next to the French Quarter. It was actually delineated by the city of New Orleans from 1897 to about 1917. And it was... A place, it was a legally defined area, like I said, in which prostitution was allowed, but not legalized. So there was this alderman named Sidney Story, and he made this push. He actually didn't like prostitution. He didn't like jazz music. He thought all these people were heathens. And so he wanted to carve out a part of New Orleans where they could go do the things that they do and keep the rest of the city nice and clean. Right. So he's trying to separate or segregate these people out that he doesn't really he isn't really a fan of. The local media, right, you know, the people writing the newspapers there caught on to this idea and they started calling it was called the district by the people who live there. But in the newspapers, they called it Storyville after Sydney Story and Story hated that, of course, because he wasn't down with any of what was going on there. But it was a red light district. Prostitution was ostensibly legal because law enforcement never showed up. They just let people do what they wanted to do there. Brothels. Uh, brothels all over the place, you bet. <laughs> as far as the eye can see. <laughs> but, uh, so it would last about 20 years, and my understanding is Storyville came to an end in 1917 when the federal government pressured the city of New Orleans to close it because there were a bunch of Navy men training in the area. They didn't want them, I guess, to get distracted because those guys were training to be deployed for the First World War, or the Great War, as it called then. So <laughs> no, no, uh, no surprise there, right? Can't have my military men taking the shore leave over there. One thing I did find out is Louis Armstrong actually grew up in Storyville. Oh, wow. Trippy. That's pretty cool. So that's I was going to say, I, I would say that my reference of knowledge of that name or the word is comes through song, you know, particularly like that old jazz stuff. And absolutely people naming albums like, you know, down in Storyville or whatever the heck. Oh, it must have been referenced hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of times yeah. uh, in all yeah. those jazz songs. Yeah. And New Orleans is just so rich with history uh, and it's so present in the city that Storyville definitely has made its way into all those things. So, yeah, if you've yeah. listened to any of that old Delta jazz, man, you found it. Yeah. My favorite is Louis Prima from New Orleans. I never really heard Prima. I'll, uh, I'll look it up. Oh, boy. I'm oh, old. Ah, oh, geez. Ah, oh, geez. Ah, oh, geez. Hessler. Ah, <laughs> oh, brain. Ah, oh, geez. <laughs> 
I love that. <laughs> uh, Are you ready for my camel facts? Against my better judgment, I'm going to turn it over to you for camel facts. Okay. But here's the deal. I think we should have camel facts every week. So I made, um, I'm making a theme theme song for you. Do you want to hear it? Yeah. Camel facts in the mouth. Exactly. Here we go. <laughs> camel facts mania. Camel, camel facts, facts trivia. And I got to go. I'll see you guys later. Bye, Soya. <laughs> <laughs> I totally understand why. Frankie, you knew where I was going. I appreciate that. Yeah, totally. All right. Hit <laughs> us with awesome. some camel facts. <laughs> this is the All right, guys. thing we've ever done. Here, here it goes. There are two types of camels. Dromedaries, which have one hump, and Bactrian camels, which have two humps. Oh, my God. I remember the term dromedary yeah. from seventh grade. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> camels have three sets of eyelids, eyelids and two rows of eyelashes to protect them from the sand. Oh, wow. They can completely shut their nostrils during sandstorms. They have thick pads on their knees, which allows them to sit comfortably in hot sand. Hmm. Their humps allow them to store 80 pounds of fat, which they can consume for months without requiring any food. When a camel finally stumbles upon water, they can drink 40 gallons in one go. They are very strong as they can carry 900 pounds. Camels can travel 40 miles per hour. That's the same as a racehorse. That's the same as Brain's drumbeat. That's right. (laughs) Mother camels carry their babies for 14 months before giving birth. This is the next one is amazing. Camels are born completely white and they start turning brown as they become adults. There are 160 different words for camel in Arabic. You know, that gives you an idea of their importance in that culture. Now, here are two more amazing things. If there is one animal that never forgives or forgets anything, that is a camel. They have amazing memory and they hold grudges against people who harmed them in the past. So if you ride a camel and you are unpleasant or mean with it, the camel is going to remember you forever. And if they see you again on a later occasion, they will charge you and they could bite you or stump you. There are cases of people who have been killed by camels who recognize them many years or months after they were mean to them. Finally, despite their imposing appearance, camels are incredibly emotional animals, very inquisitive and very affectionate. And, you know, they can be quite attention-seeking with the people that they trust. So there is a bond that is developed between the owner and a camel and Sometimes it's even stronger than the connection that people have with their dogs. Camels can be loyal to their owners forever. And if their owners pass away, camels can perish due to sadness and depression. Kind of what happens with the Tusken Raiders and the Bantas in Star Wars. I've never seen Star Wars. Oh, okay. Soya, do you know do you know what Banthas are? Yeah, what, what was the other name of the other little dudes in the first one with the lights for eyes? The Jawas. I saw that movie once. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> We're going to get a thousand emails about Star right, this, Wars next week. This is, this is a Bantha with a Tuscan Raider. So Whoa. it's the same. If, if a Tuscan Raider dies, the Bantha will kill itself because of, of the depression. Wonder, same thing happens with camels. I wonder if George Lucas was watching the Snuffleupagus on Sesame Street when he came up with that <laughs> character. He was probably listening to Camel Fact Trivia with Frank. Yeah. Collecting his thoughts and came up with that idea. <laughs> Wow. Thank you for all those facts, Frankie. I Fascinating learned. creatures. Absolutely. I imagine every single one of those is going to make it into the episode, right, Josh? You bet, man. <laughs> just, I'll just speed it up 20%. It'll be the, the fast version. Yeah, like the, the Shake Hands with Beef video. Hey. <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. Frankie's Fast Camel Facts. Camelback trivia. Camelback mania. Oh my gosh, Camelback mania. So, oh man, I love it. Jeez, I guess that's, that's all I got for this one. That's all I have for this track. There's no cover, and there's Frankie. You gonna play some live clips for us? Oh, uh, we got nothing. Bottom of the hill show. There's nothing. There's absolutely nothing. If you have it, please raise your hand, and Frankie will. I mean, Tim, you. I, I guess you could 
go dive into their soundboards or something and look for it. That Frankie would be fantastic. soundboard tapes. Yeah. That club didn't have a digital board then. It would have to have been the, them recording onto a cassette tape, and the cassette tape is somewhere hidden, but I've never seen it or heard it. Oh, man. If you find it, you know what to do. Sell it to Todd Huth. <laughs> <laughs> So then, it, so then it will end at goodwill. It'll end up. In, oh, then it won't end up in your hands yet. Yeah. It'll end up in the Frankie bundle that Todd's put together right yeah. as we speak. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess I'll say this: Camelback Cinema, make better decisions uh, with your disposable income, please, because you've been tracked. Don't Next cry time. for me, dromedary. <laughs> <laughs> Next time, guys, uh, we get to doff our caps. So be ready for that. Make sure you wear one. I'll be wrapped like a bean burrito for next week, Josh. I'll be wrapped like an alpestor taco and soy I might eat. <laughs> awesome. Boom. <laughs> at Primus Tracks on Instagram and Twitter. Frankie's at Frankie Beristein. Soya's in a secret bunker. Later days. My solemnity. I'm sorry, what? Viva la France. Viva la France. <laughs> that's, that's goodbye in Arabic. Oh, it's Ma goodbye solemnity. in Arabic. All right. Viva la France. Viva la France. How about that? Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.